0: Suppose we'll hear stories about addiction?
1: We might. Oh. Stories about recovery, too? Mm, but mostly stories about how addiction turns smart, sensitive people into liars, thieves, gluttons, and whores.
0: Liars? And thieves?
1: And gluttons and whores.
0: Oh, liars, thieves, gluttons, and whores. Oh, my. Liars, thieves, gluttons, and whores. Oh, my. Liars, thieves, gluttons, and whores. Oh, my. Liars, thieves,
1: gluttons, welcome 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 you are on the air with me nancy adair the host and creator of liars thieves gluttons and whores the podcast that brings you stories from the dark side and the light side of both addiction and recovery and here in season three we are doing interviews with all artists who are in recovery and my co-host for season three is mariana casagranda And I'm so pleased to be doing this show with her today, following the interview with Meredith Mustard. And so we are going to talk about, among other things, the um, inner critic today. And as Mariana said just before we began, we could do multiple shows on that topic. And I'm sure it comes up. For me, Mariana, it's even more crucial to talk about that with artists. Because we have an inner critic that beats all others, it seems to me. We're just very, very sensitive people.
0: I agree. I so agree. uh, Not only is our antenna refined, and so we pick up on the subtlest of hints, an eyebrow twitch, a smirk, any of that. Field, all of those sort of facial clues, in addition to verb, you know, the verbage used, is uh, is all up for um, intensity with an artist. And I think the only thing in my personal experience that would rival that is all the criticism um, that I got as a woman. You know, that's about the same level of criticism and and size and body stuff. You know, so I would link those two together. But yes, you're right. Um, we are sensitive creatures um, with a capital S for sure. Yeah, definitely.
1: You know, it's interesting. I was just reflecting mm-hmm. back on a book I was listening to on Audible about confidence. And they were talking about key areas about building self-esteem, that a key area is your physical body. Right? Mm-hmm body size but features and you know whether you are skinny like twiggy if you grew up as i did in the 60s or you know like mm-hmm. uh what is the norm what is the acceptable standard and they talked about status in community and they talked about wealth and mm-hmm. They really didn't talk about artistic expression, which for me as an artist, expressing myself Mm -hmm. in the arts is like being naked. You know, it's actually the sixth in a series of seven quilts that I have created is titled Soul Naked Goddess. And it's the image of a wolf emerging from the vulva of a goddess figure in the Whoa. cosmos. And, you know, it really is that emergence mm-hmm. creativity and the feeling that you're completely vulnerable when you really express what's truly inside.
0: Yeah. It
1: goes so counter to however we've been conditioned both
0: You know, at the tribal family level, then at the friends and, you know, neighbor level, then at the school, then at the greater world, you know, and if you if an as an artist, you've gone to a a formal school of some sort then there's the conditioning that happens within those walls because there always will be, there are going to be professors that will imprint themselves onto you for 40, 50 years to come that you don't know about when you step in the door yet, uh, both in the most inspirational manner and then in the most uh, critical. And there's going to be everything in between because even peer, peer to peer is still tricky or dicey, as I like to say. And I I know for me, the level of protection that I put around my art and not wanting to display it a whole lot, not wanting to show it because it felt like so intimate to me um, that I more than likely shot myself in the foot many ways and minimized what I was doing. which, we know, went hand-in-hand with criticism both heard and perceived.
1: Oh, I like that, Mariana. Heard and perceived. You know, that fear, the the acronym false evidence appearing real, when we Mm -hmm. perception that somebody doesn't like what we've created, or in any way, shape, and form, it isn't good enough. I saw a Young woman, one time I was at her home and she had artwork from when she was a little girl hanging on her walls and then right until that present day what she worked on. And I thought with great sadness that I threw away a lot of early work because when I compared it to later work, it just didn't hold up. It Mm -hmm. wasn't enough anymore. And instead of really seeing the progression and loving that. And I remember, too, being at Haystack Mountain School of Crafts, which is a beautiful school here in Maine, up in... uh, Deer Isle. Deer Isle. That's it. Deer Deer Isle. Maine. And there was a woman who was internationally known basket maker who showed her early work in macrame, you know, like making vests and wall hangings and bird feeding. (laughs) And I was just, again, I was just so amazed that someone could put it all out there. And it, again, showed the progressive progression and how beautiful her work had become because she stayed with it. Mm -hmm. Didn't let those voices, whether internal or external, sway her from that direction and i don't i know i mentioned in the interview with meredith my bob munford story about as you said criticism that stayed with me for 50 years i don't know if i mentioned that when i decided to go to art school my father was willing to support that and it was his you know he was paying financially for my schooling and he asked me he said but what will you do for a real job? (laughs) Like it couldn't be the arts alone. It had to Mm -hmm. be something else. And I did. I I don't consider it a shadow career. I've had a lengthy career as a counselor and in the art of psychotherapy, which I do believe is an art itself. And Mm -hmm. now that I'm closing in on retirement age, I'm spending more time in my studio and creating, which is really like returning to my soul. Mm-hmm. It's fabulous.
0: I was reflecting when you were talking on um, how growing up uh, in a non-acceptable body, larger than it needed to be, etc., had me so sensitized to looks from across the room, you know, I, I didn't need even someone to open their mouth and criticize me because I could already tell that they were sizing me up. And I do mean that in all of the categories of being, you know, fat, lazy, stupid, whatever. And that was a precursor. Uh, it, it was a join for me line up with the creativity, because I think, There was a part of me, I know there was a part of me that thought to myself, how could anything that I produce be good enough if I'm not good enough? There's no way, you know, and so even at a young age, it um, it it began to create in me a need for secrecy, a need for not showing off because I couldn't and I couldn't imagine what I would show off about anyway. And that when I looked at my artwork, wherever it was, it wasn't good enough. And so the the idea that you just mentioned about allowing others to see a progressive sequence of work happened in school because that was to be expected. But I never hung on to a lot of my work because it wasn't good enough. And And I knew that going in. I would compare, you know, et cetera. But, but even when i was different in my expression i didn't value anything that was coming from my own inner narrative at all i had no value on it because i had no value in me and until that changed there would there would be no way anything i that came out of my hands that came out of my being was going to be worthy enough for me to even show it to someone other than a professor or whoever, you know, a fellow peer. But I, you know, I had a um, deep reluctance around that because I just thought, well, I know what's going to happen. So, you know, the struggle around the inner critic is more to me as I look back, because it's gone right now. It's gone. I haven't had it in a long time. But when it was in its full-on power, it was, none of what it told me was surprising. It was my own, my own belief system, distorted and damaged. And then, of course, people would come in and say things and I would, I would, you know, add to the heap, basically. So,
1: yeah. yeah. You know, I love your description just now of you haven't, heard that voice in a very long time or not been in that similar place. And I was thinking about a podcast in which I heard Mel Robbins say that she no longer had that inner critical voice. And he said, when she looks in the mirror, she sees not only a reflection of herself, she sees her soul and that she loves her soul the way she loves her adult daughters. And- mm mother I thought wow you know Uh, I I remember having this conversation right after listening to that podcast with a masseuse that I would get regular massage from and he said that he told his daughter when they had this like no I love you more kind of you know Mm -hmm. I think she was six or seven at the time and he said Always love yourself the most because you fill your container then, there and then go. other people. And I was like, yeah. to say as a parent that you love yourself the very mm-hmm. most, mm-hmm. and that you love yourself as much as you love your children and more. I, I it, it's, yeah. it's still kind of unfathomable to me. It's mm-hmm. and don't have that experience of um personal flagulation the way I used to it it cracks me up now I, you know I'm a big pickleball player and fan and mm-hmm. and on the courts if I can't remember somebody's name um I just have to wait because they'll call themselves stupid and use their own name they're like um, what an idiotic shot uh, like oh, I yeah all the time. People put (laughs) down out loud. And Mm. so to not have that critical voice, even on a regular basis is lovely. Mm -hmm. I think it's Mm -hmm. way too acceptable. Like I try when I make a really good shot and someone compliments me on it, or even if they don't, I try to compliment myself and Mm say, job because it's not kind of politically correct.
0: Correct, right. The, the, so a couple of things, this just flew through my head. So I wanna just reply to what you were or respond to what you were saying. Um, when I, I had uh, for two and a half years, I think, did a once a month meeting. Uh, and this was on the phone, pre-Zoom and uh, myself and two other women artists, or three, actually there were four of us, who would each have, uh, we, we went through Julia Cameron's books. And one of her earliest pieces was to, was to build out of scraps of flotsam and jetsam in your studio, you know, whatever you had around, to build your critic, to actually literally give it form so that you had something to look at. And at first, of course, I poo-pooed this. I was like, oh, this is so stupid. But I thought, Mariana, shut up. Do what you're supposed to do. Spend the week. Get it all done. So I did. I went all out. I had teeth. You know, the whole, I just created this monster. And that's what you called it, your inner monster. And we all, uh, I believe, took pictures and put it on our Facebook post, you know, so everybody could see everybody's monsters. And it was hysterical. And I in her request was keep it in the studio, put it on a shelf or something, and remember to look at that every time you have your little dialogue going on. And boy, did that make a difference. It was so effective. Then, after that kind of settling into place, and at the same time, for me, being more and more firmly anchored in recovery around food and, and body issues and things. What ended up happening was I began to get a lot of input from various sources uh, that I respected that the body was the container of the divine, no more and no less. And that I had not been treating it with the respect and the love that it deserved because regardless of what my body looked like on the outside, especially now, of course, with the ever fascinating process of getting older, um, you know, all of that rolls out. Um, It's, it houses the true authentic self. And as a result, that has changed a number of things in my perspective. And it's changed how I feel about the act of creation. And so, In the morning, when I wake up, I have to think to myself, and I don't do this every day because I forget, the most radical thing I can do today is love myself thoroughly, with or without anyone else's notice, approval, commentary, or support. Because it is radical to love yourself as a woman in this world and as an artist. And that has become a really interesting... Uh, experience. I'll leave it at that.
1: You know, that brought me back to a few years ago, I was doing some personal coaching with a coach from Italy. And I don't know how it came up, but we were working on my prayer life and we were working on how I name myself in the mornings, because I used to name myself as an addict and alcoholic. And I started to name myself as a celebrated and gifted artist and healer and a very grateful recovering food addict. And I say that now in front of every prayer, whether it be morning or night or before I eat my meals. And it's so nice to really believe it and accept it with that kind of acknowledgement. The Mm -hmm. word celebrated came to me during meditation. And I first was like, I'm not a celebrated artist. I could accept that I'm a gifted artist and healer, but celebrated. And she really pulled out no stops and said, you do celebrate the arts, don't you? And you do celebrate yourself being an artist. And you are celebrated by others that love your art and for me, you know it it came down to some of those um again, uh, political community, cultural like if your work is shown in big galleries mm-hmm. in New York City at the you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah. mm-hmm. Um, you know, if your work is purchased and um it brings in high figures, it's you know, then right. it's if you have your own gallery, you know, there's always something more too. Yes. Uh, but it's like yes. either way, you can all, there's always somebody better, faster, bigger, more financially wealthy, whatever. If mm-hmm. you game of comparing. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I Alanon slogan, compare and despair, which I really love because right. what I've learned to do is not covet or criticize someone else's prosperity to be in awe of it, compliment and identify versus compare. Mm-hmm. And I seem to be prospered myself, you know, so it's yeah. interesting. In the um, dialogue with Meredith, we did talk about the dialogue with the inner critic, and she was more like disparaging. And I've done a lot of work on embracing. It's almost what you said about the monster making the monster present, Mm -hmm. having a space Mm -hmm. studio. Mm -hmm. Really do love that idea, Mm Maria. See Mm -hmm. what. I've actually made a few um, dolls recently. I call them dolls. It, it's symbolic. One is um, it's called No Longer Waiting to Take a Stand. Mm. The other one is the uh, Shapeshifter. And I say them in a morning meditation after during yoga, or or actually it's during yoga, there's a twist on my chair. So the dolls sit right behind my meditation area. And I say, good morning, no longer waiting to take a stand and shape shifter and seer of the unseen and guardians of the North. You know, I just have these Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. out of me for the.
0: Well, I think that's the thing, you know, If I um, what the monster did symbolically for me was begin the process of understanding that while it had had that, you know, character in my life, I began to laugh at it and really kind of go, you know, there's something here and. And becoming able to see the shadow part and recognizing it's not something to put in a bag and drag behind you like I had for years. It is something to be embraced and to be brought in because it is part of who I am. But it won't have the dominance that it has when it's separate and held apart from me. So there's something very powerful to me about acknowledging that you know, I can have uh, myriad fears around a number of things. You know, a, a precious piece of 300 weight arches. You know, oh my God, I'm going to just mess this thing up. And oh, yeah, you know, and 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 then reflect upon, if you will, because this is probably similar to many artists, the number of pads that I have in my home at any one time drawing pads and sketch pads that are of various weights and sizes and all kinds of things. And I'm waiting to use them for special moments, right? And there is no special moment. And it's taken me now, I have dragged these things around, Nancy, for decades, because they are important to me. And I had a conversation with someone earlier this morning, who was an artist who said she gave her a bunch of sketchbooks and other things to goodwill. And I was like, "Ah!" you know, and I just stood there. and I'm like, what? And then I thought, Of, yeah, hello, what have you done? You know, and it was just a reminder. I thought, right, the ordinary is extraordinary in the practice of daily use of these tools and books. It is not, you know, something to be saved for, you know, a day when you have museum quality art coming through, because you guess what? You never know when that's coming. But it's the practice and the preparing and the act of receiving. And that I think circles me back to a very spiritual place, which is how can I receive if I don't love the container that I'm receiving with?
1: Well, and one of the prayers that I was taught, not that I use regularly was when we were learning to do beaded feathers. And this woman taught it in a native American Indian way. And that was to sit on a red blanket and you started in one direction and you said these prayers and one of the prayers that i was taught at that time was to um rinse your hands in water seawater and um and thank them for bringing spirit into form
0: mm. and
1: that very simple sentence and i think of it often, I don't often actually thank my hands and bless them for bringing spirit into form, which I would love to remember to do on a regular basis. I also just to let the listeners know the perfectionist that I am being a double Virgo and all is that I asked this teacher, do you always be the Native American way? You know, with this very ceremonial and, and Mm -hmm. she's Oh, I most often be the American TV way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there you go. There you go. There's
0: reality. Yeah, of course. Of course. And, you know, there's something to be said for that, too, that when our mind is engaged in, you know, the TV, whatever, there's a part of us that gets freed up. And so then we have things coming in, you know, insight and uh, awareness comes in. I find that happening a lot when I wash the dishes, when I'm in the bathroom, oftentimes. It's just when my body is in some other rhythm, walking, then it just frees that piece up. It, it releases whatever needs to be released. Um, and I, yeah, you know, we're so privileged as artists to make things And it is, you know, the state of creation is a powerful thing. And I remember hearing one woman say that when a woman gives birth, okay, she's in the process of labor and giving birth, she is the shaman because she's got one foot in the spirit world, one foot here, and her body is the conveyor of a soul coming through to this planet and beginning its journey again in another life cycle. And what is more powerful than that? There isn't anything. And so artists have the same process, you know, in the same way. We're very shamanic. And I recognize this now after many decades, that often our work creates a reaction in others that makes them fearful, that makes them stand back and go, you know, because it's so powerful. And it doesn't always get heard or received that way because it doesn't get said that way. But I remember um, many fellow women artists talking about some brutal criticisms that they received from their professors. And looking back, what they were doing was more authentic to who they were, but it wasn't what was acceptable through this professor's eyes. It was too... I don't know if they wanted to call it too feminine or too whatever they called it. It doesn't matter, whatever diatribes they use. But the impact on that, those particular women was like branding. You know, it was like being branded. I mean, it was really it, it took a long time for most of those women to get over it. And I'm I'm not even sure if that's the appropriate words. But anyway, it so it is, I think it takes a lot of courage as an artist to move forward in the conviction that what is coming out of you will lead you somewhere, is something, and needs to be followed and, and birthed without ex- needing exterior support and acknowledgement and all of, the, all of that, it takes a lot of courage. And I applaud anybody who has walked that walk and continues to have a studio and continues to make things and continues to have a messy studio, <laughs> you know what I
1: mean. If you only saw my studio today, and the fact that the rest of my house, you know, it 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 overflows into of other course. The dining room, the living room, you know, these yes, parts of a project. And I have yeah. every year I create a vision board for myself about the year ahead. And last year on my vision board, I remember selecting this piece of writing that said, if you can think of a thing to create, you can create the space to create it in. Oh, I like that. With, it's really wonderful because I was like, at some points I'm like, well, no, I can't figure that out. And this year I discovered something new, which is so like, I always wondered, how did Edison come up with bamboo for the light bulb filament? You know, and mm. for me, it's just the things that come through us as the conduit, as you're yeah. between, you know, universal cosmos and the present day. And a woman at the quilting group that I quilt with back in April had a tablecloth, an outdoor picnic cloth that had flannel on the back side. Mm hmm. Put cotton against flannel, it sticks. So I didn't have large enough walls in my studio to have a design wall for the quilting that I do. And I was able in my dining room to hang up an old picnic cl- tablecloth backward, <laughs> you know, so the vinyl to the wall and the flannel is forward, and I could put up the blocks to. Con- continue my design work and I just think of that saying like if you can think of a thing you can think of this you can create the space to create the thing I'm like oh okay.
0: <laughs> that is awesome what a great solution and then to be able to stand back and look at those squares and see the bigger picture right um, I mean it's such an important and vital piece of making a piece of work especially when it's large You need to be able to step back and get a perspective and see what's working and what's not or what needs to be tweaked and moved and whatever. Um, Fabulous. Absolutely fabulous. What a great and what a great second life for that (laughs) tablecloth. And it's movable and portable and you can roll it up and it can be a wall again if it needs to be. (laughs) Now that's versatility and creativity. Love that.
1: Love that. All of the things that come with being an artist in today's world. So no kidding. Hmm. Let's wind up. Um, okay. Is there anything that we haven't said that really needs to be said about the inner critic and loving yourself, being the vehicle for Spirit to take form? I think one thing I'd like to say
0: to finish this uh, for me uh, is that with emotional and spiritual maturity comes discernment. And the discernment process is so crucial to discern what out of critique is critique and what is criticism. And to know that there's a world of difference between the two. Because critique is about bettering something, it's about fine tuning, it's about um, removing the dross, it's about looking at what's essential and important to whatever it is that's being formed, and criticism is a whole other situation and doesn't necessarily have a lot as much truth or verity that uh, that I have often ascribed to it. But it's also more about the person who's uttering that than it is about me and what I'm doing. And so the discernment gives me the space to, to reclaim my authentic power
1: as an artist and move forward, period. I love hearing that, Mariana. And I think about the quilt that's right beside me that I'm currently sewing on, the binding, and it's a man bound to the horn of a fire breathing dragon and a woman coming to the rescue with a sword wielded above her head and the woman is the woman and the man are both done in what i call illustration with thread black thread on white cotton and then they're appliqued onto a very colorful quilt back made up of, um, it's almost like a puzzle of batik fabrics. So they're very, very and the woman is facing the dragon with the sword above her head. And I remember asking the artist who taught me this technique of illustrating with thread is over in England. And I asked her to be a mentor during a time when I was staying at home and working on a couple of pieces. Uh, I did what I call an artisan residency at home. During COVID, it was necessary, but I designed a whole process, including having mentorship during the time that I took off from work to work on my art. And I asked her about this piece and sent her photographs. And she said the perspective is wrong. That if the woman was really coming toward the dragon with the sword in her hair in her hand, all you would see is her back and a little bit of an angle of her face. And I realized that that's true. And this is folk art. And what I want my audience to see is this woman's face. <laughs> <You know>? mm-hmm. <laughs> Right, there is, and that very early criticism that was given to me was about perspective when I was just 17 in art school. And here I am today feeling like, well, yes, that's true about the actual perspective and the truth of what I wanna convey. And I'm with my truth. And when I do get um, feedback, which I think for an artist is so important, from a number of different people, sometimes it's important for me to say, "Oh, if there are a few voices that are saying the same thing, maybe I need to pay more attention." Mm-hmm. Yeah. um, and then the other piece is, what do I resonate with in terms of feedback? What of it is true and true for me?"
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, what's valuable, Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah so for you yeah. i've known people who couldn't um put their work out in public because the fear of criticism and it is a journey to i think it starts with this loving oneself and making space for the inner critic and not taking it all that seriously <laughs>
0: And knowing that not everyone's going to love your work because it's not for everyone. And that's the other thing. That's the other piece. It really isn't. Our our language in our artwork speaks to a specific population of people, I think, and they'll know it when they see it. And, you know, those are the folks that are going to make an effort to come talk to you and connect with you because they're getting you know what you're putting out there um and that's enough that's enough right yeah yeah
1: well very good it's been a lovely time again to talk with you today and i hope our listeners have enjoyed this conversation about the inner critic and Please subscribe to Liars, Thieves, Gluttons, and Whores. The more people that subscribe, the more we get our show out there. And so please come to my website, nancyadare.com. Remember to spell Nancy with an I, -I -I N-A-N-C-I-A-D-A-I-R.com. And you can go to the podcast page and subscribe right there. There's also wonderful merch For LTGW, just a shirt with liars, thieves, gluttons, and whores on it. Who wouldn't want a sweatshirt or a hoodie like that? (laughs) Or a cap or a bottle, a water bottle. Um, All kinds of great merchandise. So check it out and let us know on our Facebook page. Again, liars, thieves, gluttons, and whores. Especially if you want to hear more about a particular topic or make comments about the shows, um, we'd love to hear from you. Thank you. And thank you
0: all for listening. We enjoy this time together and, uh, hope that everyone else enjoys it as well. And if you have any interest in the work that I do, you can find me on marianacasagranda.com and uh avail yourself of the information at that website thank you so much do you suppose we'll hear stories about
1: addiction we might oh stories about recovery too Mm, but mostly stories about how addiction turns smart, sensitive people into liars, thieves, gluttons, and whores.
0: Liars? And thieves?
1: And gluttons and whores.
0: Oh, liars, thieves, gluttons, and whores. Oh, my. Liars, thieves, gluttons, and whores. Oh, my. Liars, thieves, gluttons, and whores.
1: Oh, my. Liars, thieves, gluttons, whores. Oh, my. Are you a fan of Liars, Thieves, Gluttons, and Whores podcast? Do you want to support the show and show off your love for LTGW? Look no further than You Can Do Merch Store, brought to you by host and creator Nancy Adair.